Health and Fitness with David Hollywood in association with The Hearing Consultancy, thehearingconsultancy.ie. You're very welcome to the show this Friday evening. You're very welcome to your weekend. Hope you've had a good week. Even better, hope you enjoy the leisure of the weekend. Let's have a look at what's coming up on the show. Very shortly, you're going to meet an awfully woman who's delivering an app to those uh, who need help regarding dementia. It keeps them connected with their loved ones. Uh, The Fixing Food Together report came out this week. You're going to hear from a Midlands nutritional therapist about what Ireland needs to do to get on the right path. You'll learn about a mental health program that's bringing men back from the brink and giving them the tools to get back on their feet. And it's National Bike Week and the Ross Tolton's been running across the Midlands as well. Chloe Farrell gets compelling testimony about the power of the push bike. That's all coming up on Health and Fitness this evening. Let's get things started. Neve Murray joins me in studio this Friday evening. Neve, thanks for coming in to me. Hello, David. Uh, thanks for having me. Not at all. Um, you are the lady behind the Forget Me Not app. Yes, I am. Um, Tell so, me what it is. So um, my name is Neve, and I'm co-founder of um, the Forget Me Not app. The Forget Me Not app is a personalised and bespoke digital memory book for people with dementia. Okay. Um, and the app features three main tools, photos, music and voice recordings, which allows families and loved ones to connect with those living with dementia. Fantastic. Uh, you say you were the co-founder, so we should probably give credit to the other other co-founders. <laughs> yes, we should. Um, <laughs> so Amy Voyden, um, who's actually from Cork, I met her while studying in UCC and we both, um, you know, have been running the business for a couple of years now um, and it's been it's been great. Yeah. Sounds like it's a lot of work as well. Yes, it is, but it's all worth it. It's all worth it. Yeah, I think it has that... Um, just like fundamental value to it, uh, which we can touch on what you kind of get out of it down the line in our chat here. Mm-hmm. Uh, first, though, I want to find out, like, what gave you the motivation and maybe like the insight to produce the app? Yeah, so um, myself and uh, my co-founder, Amy, both have personal experience caring for those living with dementia. Okay. So both my grandmothers have lived with dementia. So my nana, Kitty, who's still alive, she's living with dementia. And my nana, or sorry, my granny, Margaret, um, who passed away two years ago. So I knew firsthand how difficult it can be to communicate with those living with dementia and how there kind of can be a bit of agitation on their end. You know, they want to have that conversation with their loved one, but often they can't. And for many years to bridge that gap, I suppose I was using things like photos and music and singing songs and, you know, reminiscing on the past to make that connection and to create conversation. And I suppose little did I realise that that was the basis of a huge body of research on reminiscence therapy. Okay, and... That's interesting. I want to talk about reminiscence therapy shortly, but let's talk about what people are going through when in that relationship dynamic between somebody who is going, uh, who does have dementia and those who are closest to them, their friends and their closest family members, because everybody wants to be there. Everybody wants to be a part of someone's life who they've been with all their life. But it can be so hard and alienating uh, for for someone who's going through that um, on both sides of the equation, I suppose, like you say, there's the irritation can come into the relationship, stress and and the ability to keep those connections in in a way that reduces the stress. I suppose that's in a way what the Forget Me Not app is very good at. It's someone who's yeah. experiencing dementia 
in their own time can keep that connection going. Yeah, exactly. And I suppose I experienced that firsthand and, you know, my family did too. And many of the listeners probably have as well if they have someone living with dementia. And it can be difficult because as their mind declines, you know, your relationship shouldn't have to. Um, And I think once a lot of people mightn't realise that they do have a lot of memories, you just need to be able to tap into the correct ones. So I think not to go all scientific, but it's the the short term um, memory is what's kind of, you know, starting to decline. But their short term recall or sorry, their long term memory ability often remains intact. So once you kind of connect in those right memories, you can create conversation and, you know, you can you can have so many lovely moments with your loved one. Um, that often you mightn't have if you're just going in and, you know, visiting them and kind of, you know, seeing that, you know, the, the agitation and the forgetfulness. Um, and I suppose it's it's just kind of overcome that in a way that will benefit both the person with dementia and their family member. It's about getting over the short term obstacle in a way, because the long term yeah. value of the relationships are still there for the person who has dementia and obviously for the person on the other side of the equation. Yeah, completely. And that's the thing that can often, you know, create um, agitation, not only with the person, but even the family member, because they're not sure what to do in that situation. And um, so it's it's targeting those right memories is the main thing for caring with someone with dementia. In essence, is that what is is that what reminiscence therapy is then? Yeah, so that is what reminiscence therapy aims to do. But the way they it kind of the research shows is to do it through sensory prompts. So I suppose you use things like photos, you use music, you use you know recordings of the past, videos of things to help create and kind of stimulate that brain activity and help the memories to flow again. Because often once you actually recall that moment in their life they will remember they will remember it um so yeah that is what reminiscence therapy about is about it's using those things that a lot of people might have sitting at home yeah um but to use that in a way to create conversation with your loved one living with dementia because we collect so much uh digital documentation of our lives these days yeah we do it it, it seems like um <laughs> How would I put this? I have my qualms about the internet, let's say. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's brought a great many developments and a great many problems, I suppose. Uh, but this kind of is a manifestation of its best possibilities, that we have the ability to give a loved one uh, a kind of documented account of, of everybody they know and care about. Completely. So I suppose things, as I said, that I was doing with my granny, like singing to her and showing her photographs, you know, it was all well and good because those things were there, you know. Uh, She kept all her photo albums and she was, you know, mad to talk about them. But I suppose we are all so used to, as you said, having that like instant, you know, things on your phone and things like that. And we're used to having that. Um, So, yeah, this provides a really easy way for families to practice reminiscence therapy. And it's something that is proven. Reminiscence therapy is proven to reduce agitation and to stimulate brain activity. So not only are you, I suppose, you know, creating this lovely moment with your loved one, but you're actually, you know, going to benefit their brain and their brain health. That's great. I really I, I love the idea of this. How is it going, actually? Because it's a number of years in terms of uh, the project. Um, uh, what's it been like to go through from a personal perspective, bringing it along and watching it grow? Yeah, so I suppose it's been going very well. I'm learning a lot um, along the way. Um, but yeah, I sp- we launched uh, the Google Play version of the app last September. So um, it's great to see families across Ireland using the app and getting that benefit and, you know, uploading into the albums and making the playlists um, 
and, you know, making the recordings through the app. Um, and we've had such, you know, great feedback from it. Um, but I suppose that doesn't just stop there. We want to, you know, continue to grow and continue to help mm. as many people as we can. Um, and I suppose our main focus at the moment is on community care. So selling to families, selling to family carers um, and maybe formal caregivers that care for someone in the in the home. So, yeah, that's what we're working on at the moment. But I've learned so much. And I think, you know, if you can create a business that can do good along the way, you know, yeah. you're doing well. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's much easier to work at something you care about, isn't it? Exactly. And when you have that personal experience and you understand it firsthand, you know, how difficult it can be. Uh, it's great to create a solution that can kind of bridge that gap in communication. That's fantastic. Where can you get the app? Remind us once more. So you can download the app now um, on Google Play, um, but we are developing it for iOS, um, for for Apple phones. But if anyone would like to find out any more information, you can visit our website, uh, forgetmenotapp.ie. Wonderful. Neve Murray, I think it's great what you're doing here and I wish you every success going forward. Thanks for joining us on Health and Fitness this evening. Thank you very much. Not at all. Coming up next on the show, we're looking at the Fixing Food Report. We've got a Midlands nutritionist uh, who's going to get us help us get a handle on what is going on in this country. Health and Fitness with David Hollywoods with the Hearing Consultancy. Carrying out free hearing tests in Clara, Tullamore, Kinnegad and in our latest clinic at Mullingar Dental Clinic, Martins Lane, Mullingar. TheHearingConsultancy.ie You're very welcome back to the programme. We are now changing gears and uh, looking at uh, the latest Fixing Food report, the 2023 uh, version. It's a position paper and it's about essentially the climate and our diet Um, and certainly the paper itself does take a position but it does pose uh, some really fascinating questions. I'm very glad to say that nutritional therapist uh, Brida Malini joins me uh, this evening uh, to look at the report or maybe some of the questions that we're going to delve into. Uh, Brida, thanks for taking the time to talk to us this evening. Thanks, William David. Great to be here. So, the first question I want to pose, and it's a, a fairly hefty one, uh, which is one that the report touches on uh, at the start, is is Ireland's food system actually harming our health? The report states our increasing reliance, for instance, on ultra-processed foods is leading to a number of issues. What's your perspective on that? Absolutely. It's... Um it's the over-processed foods and it's the highly processed foods. I think it's become a huge issue um, for everyone's diet. It's a global problem. It's not just here in Ireland. The, you know, the typical Western diet for many years has been characterized by very high intake of packaged foods, refined grains, high sugar drinks, your processed meats, sweets, your fried foods and all that sort of thing. So and we get, it's become a lot more prevalent within Ireland as well. Um, and there's many reasons for that, I think. Um, certainly, um, people's income mm. um, and change in living conditions definitely is playing a part in that. Because um, I saw some, uh, read recently that, um, according to the CSO, there's 17.7% of people experiencing enforced deprivation. And that's increased by 4% since 2021. So when you're looking at how people spend their money on food and I think the average annual cost of groceries in Ireland is about eight, just over 8,000 annually. So it's a lot of money. So depending on your income, it would make you, the choices you make will be dependent on that. Okay. So, and the likes of highly processed foods are marketed extremely strongly. Yeah. And And that is a lot of the reason they're overconsumed. So, 
I think we can sometimes miss that point in, in this conversation that so much of what's gone on in terms of deteriorating nutritional health in this country and, and in Europe and, and elsewhere, a, l- a large part of it is economic. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You'd have to decide um, between heating your house or your food yeah, or your transport to work. Uh, you know, there's many different factors feeding into that. So I think it has to be a part of it, certainly. Um, you can make fantastic choices when you have the wherewithal to do so. Yeah. But if you're living in a circumstances where you're counting every penny and and you're being heavily marketed by highly processed foods, because we all get the leaflets in through the door from various supermarkets and things like that for the special offers. Just have a close look at what the special offers are. There's very rarely um, fruit and veg on it. No, and and that brings me on to my next point. The idea of overconsumption and undernutrition. In this country, we have a culture of consuming plenty in terms of potatoes, bread, uh, red meat. Um, but the report suggests um, or insists we, we underconsume fruit and veg and whole grains. Would that tally uh, with your personal and professional experience? Yes, um, we are... Uh, we don't have the variety. We don't feel, I think, we don't feel comfortable with cooking other um, vegetables mm. and using whole grains because um, generationally it's probably the, your meat and two veg and your disposables on your dinner <laughs> Absolutely, plate. Absolutely, yeah. That's what a lot of us grew up with. Now, people are a lot better now than we used to be years ago of actually more variety and things like that. And there's far more available as well. Um, so I think we're we're definitely getting better, but probably not enough of it because, strictly speaking, the recommended amount of um, vegetables and fruit per week is 30 different varieties. That sounds and like a sci-fi number compared to what most of us are probably doing. <laughs> yeah, but it, it counts as being, you know, your herbs, your spices and all of that is actually included in that as well. So that's strictly speaking for to have good gut health and good um, um, gut health and good general health is 30 different varieties a week is what's recommended. Okay. Yeah. So far what we've touched on two very interesting things like we have the awareness, you know, you and I are sitting here talking about it this evening. I don't think anyone listening will be shocked or surprised to hear about the, the, the ideas behind a good practice in terms of what to eat and nutrition. But the ability oh, no. for all of us to be able to do that, it seems to have been undermined or compromised in a serious way, particularly in recent years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think um, there's a lot of negative language used around food, I think. Yeah. You know, I really do. Um, food is actually meant to be enjoyed. We're meant to enjoy our food. We're meant to. It's a, supposed to be a very communal thing to actually do sit down with family to, for a conversation, all of that, and it's supposed to be enjoyable. We've lost a lot of the enjoyment around food. And I think if we're looking at health, the health perspective of it, you know, there's more to health than just nutrition. Okay. And I know it was mentioned in the report about stress. Yeah. Yeah, and they said that it, it has a huge impact on hormonal health. And also on appetite. So if people are highly stressed, there is a follow-on impact of that on their overall health and actually their weight. So there's a lot of, you know, sorry. No, no, you're fine. Continue, please. 
<laughs> so, you know, when I'm looking at somebody, when I have a client and looking at various things, <clears throat> excuse me, um, I look at the pillars. You have your nutrition, how they actually sleep. Sleep is a huge impact on weight gain and hormonal health. Um, do they exercise? What's their movement? Do they actually have um, a social network? that they actually have friends, that they have family and connection and a community. And a sense of purpose is also hugely important. That we, have, you know, that we feel that within ourselves. And then by, by those things, if all those things are in place, nutrition becomes very simple. That's fascinating, Breda. You know, just, just to, just to synopsize exactly what you've just said there, uh, sleep, activity, uh, your social life, uh, your sense of community and the purpose that you have within that life before we even talk about the diet. Exactly, exactly. And reduce your stress. Reduce the stress. Okay. Um, in terms of a healthy diet, uh, mm-hmm. I, I, if, if we can just hang our hat on a couple of key principles here uh, that might be attainable for people listening who are resolved to go down to the supermarket or maybe even uh, go down to a market this weekend in, in, in one of the towns in the Midlands. Uh, what are the kinds of things they can do that, that, that's manageable and maybe affordable? Okay. First thing um, everyone should do is make a shopping list. Very good. That's the first thing. Make a shopping list. On that shopping list, just sit down, plan your meals for the week. It takes a bit of practice. There's no doubt about that. But plan the meals for the week. Then your shopping list. That cuts down the waste and it also cuts down the cost. So that's the first thing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's a big thing when you kind of say to somebody, you know, you have to change all of this and do all of this. Small changes consistently done is the key. And you don't have to do all a big spell swoop of changes. One change, if you decide to cook one meal, if you don't cook at all, cook one meal in a week from scratch and then just build. So, you know, there's a lot we can actually do. Variety is a key. Obviously, local markets are fantastic. Local farmers markets, if you can get to them, absolutely fantastic because you won't get fresher. Frozen veg as well. Don't be afraid of it. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm delighted you mentioned yeah. that because I was, uh, my mother, uh, um, I'll give her a shout out to Maureen. Thank you so much for <laughs> keeping me alive all these years. Um, she was real big on on, on uh, nutrition uh, and uh, I suppose it was harder to have the information in the 90s, but she went after it. But we grew up afraid of frozen veg and from what I've read in recent years, it's grand like. <laughs> oh, it's perfect. It's perfect. It's absolutely. And it, like uh, was mentioned in the report about the food waste, it cuts out all of that. Yeah. And fruit and fruit and veg, or particularly veg, tend to be frozen very, very quickly after it's harvested. So it can sometimes be better quality than what something that is actually sitting on the shelf maybe for a week or two. <laughs> so sometimes it's actually the quality, the nutritional value of it is actually sometimes better. Okay. Don't and be afraid of frozen. Yeah, and well, I, I think if we can um, take a couple of the messages that we've discussed this evening forward, we're doing really well. Um, and what I wanted to ask you as well in your experience, 
it feels like when it comes to nutrition, people experience an all or nothing psychology about it that they try to be perfect when that doesn't work. It can really knock you back. And I, I, yeah. I, I've seen it, felt it and, and we all know about it. it it's something mm-hmm. that we have to find a way of letting ourselves off. If we haven't done exactly as planned, the last thing we should do is castigate ourselves about it. Absolutely, absolutely. The word um, diet actually comes from a Greek word called, uh, now forgive my pronunciation of it, dieta, and it means way of life. Okay. So if we think of diet, our food is a way of life. And if we want our way of life to be healthy and us to be productive and have energy, that is what we, that's what we nourish our bodies with. The way of life. This is great. I'm learning a lot uh, this evening and I much appreciate it. Finally then, what's the thing that gives you the most concern when it comes to our nutrition in Ireland or what do you think should be a national priority if if you could communicate this message to um, local and central government, what should they be working hardest on? I think education at the ground level. It really is. Um, everyone should be able to cook basic nutritious food. Um, I know there's a lot being done in schools as regards healthy eating and all of that, but children live with families. And if the families are not cooking, you know, they can't, things can't change. And you have to change it really from the little ones up. So for me, the advertisement of highly processed foods, um, diet foods, Sugar-laden food, I think, needs to be reduced. I think we need things like additional health for families. Because I know in England, they have a thing called the Rose Voucher. The Rose Voucher. Um, where they actually give out vouchers um, for people to use that are on lower income, to use in local markets, mm. local food and veg markets, and things like that, where they can actually buy... Um, they can use the vouchers to purchase um, fresh fruit and veg and they give the vouchers to the traders and the traders are able to claim for those. Okay. And it just encourages people to actually, use, you know, to go out and buy fresh fruit and veg. And it's, kind of, it's a circular economy then, it's all been local and all of that. So I think more encouragement in that. I think take away the negativity we have around food. We're always being told we're bad. This is, you know, we're bad, we're not doing it right, we're, you know, and things like that. We need to be a lot more positive as regards, be positive about what we can do ourselves, what more we can do ourselves, rather than saying, you know, we, should, we shouldn't be doing this or we shouldn't be doing that, I think. I think sometimes it's just too negative. Nutritional therapist, Brida Malini, and your message that diet is a way of life, as the Greeks had it, I think is a great uh, note to end on. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us on Health and Fitness this evening. Thanks a million, David. Appreciate it. Next, we are going to be looking at men's mental health. And if you feel that you're suffering or you know someone that is, then stay with us. Health and Fitness with David Hollywoods with the Hearing Consultancy. Book a free hearing test at one of our clinics in Clara, Kinnegad, Mullingar or Tullamore and get impartial advice on hearing aids, ear protection, tinnitus help and more. Coming soon to Eden Dairy, thehearingconsultancy.ie. You're very welcome back to the programme. I came across um, an article over the course of the week that fascinated me. It was in relation to men's health and it was about a programme that's available uh, to people in the Midlands. It is uh, 
the Men's Power uh, programme. I'm very uh, glad to say that I'm joined by two people uh, who'll be able to give us every piece of information, hopefully, that we might need to understand what's going on here and what maybe the benefits are uh, to anybody listening uh, at home or indeed uh, if you're catching up with us on a podcast. I'm going to start with Aoife Kelly. Uh, Aoife is the Health Training Programme Coordinator with the Offaly Local Development Company. Uh, Aoife, thanks for taking our call this evening. Yeah, David, thanks, William, for, for um, thinking of us. Uh, we're delighted to come on and talk about the Men Power Programme. Not at all. And then uh, Mick Whelan is uh, a man who's gone through the programme and can speak uh, to his experience on that one. And Mick, um, thank you as well for taking the time this evening. Much appreciated. Uh, thank you, David, for giving me the opportunity. It's uh, really an honour to be on the, the airwaves. Thank you. Not at all. OK, so Mick, we'll get back to you shortly. First, Aoife, uh, I want to kind of get you to bring us up to speed on the Manpower programme. What is it and, and what does it do? OK. So, look, the Men Power Programme is it's a 12-week personal development programme that encourages men to make positive changes to their lives, and that's done within um, a supportive environment. So, over the 12-week period, men will be given the opportunity to, you know, develop their mental and physical fitness, to find a bit of purpose that can be, you know, having a structured routine, to uh, make connections, break down the barriers that might be stopping them from moving forward, be able to address stress and anxiety that's, that's coming up in their lives and ultimately and hopefully overall, you know, improve their self-esteem. And that's done in various different ways. Okay. So we, we I suppose, look at um, well-being and resilience is one of the topics that we cover and we, and we break that down and um, look at what it actually is. We look at maybe how to go about creating good habits when it comes to our own self-care. And the whole idea around taking personal responsibility for ourselves and our mental and physical fitness. And that can be also asking for help. Um, We also kind of look at the whole idea of mindset and and the way that we look at things and how we can set goals for looking forward. Um, We also explore, yeah, loads in it, yeah, loads covered over the 12 week programme, yeah. 12 weeks. And. Everything you've gone through here, it's not just having a conversation. There's got to be some practical work that gets done, uh, some educated perspectives that are delivered. How does that all happen? Yeah, so look, we we work very closely with lots of different agencies and support services um, in Offaly. And as part of the 12 weeks, um, we have a lot of different outside inputters coming in. And they chat to the men in relation to the services that they provide. And they explain how they go about accessing the services and I suppose they kind of put a face to the name on the organisation as well and that can be in relation to employment, it can be in relation to getting out there and just maintaining social connection it can be going back into education. Okay and how long has this uh, programme uh, been on offer? How long has it uh, been in, ex- in existence? So, um, just to give you a small bit of background, so Manpower would have been developed from a programme called Mojo, which would have been originally piloted in 2011 by um, organisations to respond um, to a high level of male suicide um, in Tala. Okay. So, from that then, it was, you know, unemployed men would have been identified as particularly high-risk group. Um and it was found, you know, men who were unemployed and in distress were isolated, maybe feeling a little emasculated and, and weren't accessing the services that was available to them. Yeah. So I suppose these kind of three issues would have formed the basis of the training programme. 
Now, while the Mojo programme did end um, in 2020, Offaly Local Development Company, um, thanks to the funding and support from Josephine Ridney and the HSC, um, decided to build on the original idea and introduce the Manpower programme, uh, which we're now going into our seventh programme, hopefully now on the 31st of May. It's really incredible. From 2011 to today, it's traversed so many uh, changes in, in, in our lives. And obviously, uh, the men interacting with the programme would have been raised in a very different world to the one we, we live in now. So that's that's informing a lot of the difficulties uh, that uh, we may be experiencing. If someone's listening this evening, then Aoife, and they want to engage with the programme, how can they do it? How does one usually find this course? Yeah, so look, um, the programme is open to any man that's over the age of 18. Um, they can refer themselves in or they can do it through a GP, the mental health services or any other uh, services like probation or welfare, anyone that they're linked in with. Um, they basically fill out a referral form that we have and they send it back to us and then we meet with them on a one-to-one basis prior to the programme starting. Okay, okay, good stuff. I, I'd like to bring Mick Whelan into uh, the conversation at this point. Mick, as we said at the top of our chat, uh, you went through the Manpower programme. How did you find it? Uh, well, luckily, the bus driver knew where to go. Uh, <laughs> so um, I'd like to actually uh, apologise to your listeners uh, beforehand for my very heavy Limerick accent. <laughs> um, I was actually talking to a man there from Tullamore uh, last week, and he told me it's not an accent, it's a speech impediment. So Good God. bear with me. Well, no apology necessary. As I said, uh, I do really appreciate you talking to us. Um, it's, no, it, I, personal stories are sometimes a bit of a, a, a challenge to, to, to get through when we're, when we're broadcasting. So I really commend you yeah. on, on, on being able to take the call uh, this evening in the first no place. But I understand that this men's power, men power program uh, d- did really help you. It did. I mean, uh, at the very start of, of, of my situation, I was, very, very depressed, uh, highly anxious. I wasn't getting out of the bed. Uh, I'd wake up on a Tuesday morning. I wouldn't even know what day it was. I didn't even care. Yeah. I wasn't washing. I wasn't I wasn't doing anything. The dishes were piling up. Um, I didn't want to go outside the door. Uh, I used to go to the local Tesco here about half nine, quarter to ten in the evening, just so that there wouldn't be anyone around to talk to or to interact with. Um, I was in a situation where I'd meet a group of young guys coming down opposite me and I found myself, my hands clenching in a fist and egging egging these guys on to, to even touch me or to say something smart. Yeah. But in my head, I, I, this is all in my head and they'd pass by and, you know, and I'd, I'd, maybe 10 minutes later I would, you know, start hyperventilating and I'd get home, get to the front door and start bawling, crying. And that obviously further uh, put into my bed and a total recluse. I wasn't answering calls. I wasn't answering texts or anything like that. But it was the time of COVID. I mean, it was the perfect storm, really, when I think about it. Yeah. Um, you know, with the whole world shut down. And to be quite honest with you, I was so delighted when I heard that COVID had closed my work down because I used to work as a night manager in a hotel in Dublin mm. and I used to work seven nights on and seven off. And of course, I'd never worked nine to five. I mean, my uh, circadian rhythm was all over the place and I was wait, you know, going to bed at six or seven o'clock in the morning and getting up at five in the evening and everyone else around me was just getting on about their lives and with their families and stuff. And 
I live very close here to a, a good family here, and I'd hear the kids outside the, in the playground and laughing and joking, and and that's just, I mean, even to this day, uh, David, my eyes, I have so many bags under my eyes. I'm like a, a luggage trolley, but... Um, mm. Mick, you said you you, you you know the bus driver helped you find this course. Tell me about the moment when you really did find the course. Um, I had gone into my GP. They referred me to the Bannon Centre in Tullamore that's attached to the hospital. And I ended up talking to a lovely lady, uh, Emma Ryan. She was the occupational therapist that took me on. Mm. And uh, she thought that the, the main part would be of good use and good value to me. Okay, and you went through it. What are your reflections about being on that course? Uh, well, the first day I walked in, I had washed, I had shaved, I had picked out clean clothes. I felt already different going in the doors and, of course, apprehension and uh, wondering what the other guys are going to be like and everything. But looking back now, it was one of the best things I ever did. And, and not to not to put a too fine point on this, it really did save my life. We. It was the tea, it was the banter, it was the crack, it was just connecting with people that were in a similar situation that really drove home the fact that I thought this was the right place for me, you know. Okay, we are um, talking to Aoife Kelly, the Health Training Programme Coordinator with Offaly Local Development uh, Company, and Mick Whelan, who has been through the Manpower Programme. If any of the issues that have come up this evening affect you and you need help, um, there is a 24-7 service from the HSE uh, for uh, mental health supports and services. You, call, you can free phone 1800 742 And of course, uh, the Manpower Programme uh, locally may well be uh, the thing to land on if indeed it's something you can access. Uh, Mick, tell me about uh, Charmin Farr. Uh, this is an interesting one for graduates of the programme. It seems like a, a special way to keep in touch with people who understand you and I imagine with people that you probably trust and, and feel that uh, you know they trust you Absolutely you made a good point there I feel totally safe <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> totally safe and emotionally safe and uh, it's a total judgment free zone Termin Affair which translates as men's haven and that's what it is really I mean it's exactly what it says in the tin it's a haven and if I could maybe just draw a picture of people out there in their boats and their trawlers going through the storms of of, of life and then just trying to maintain a balance and you look up one day and you see the piers opening up the harbour and the arms welcoming you in come in mm. like the Bob Dylan song you know take shelter from the storm you know now, I might necessarily know everyone because obviously there will be a lot of people going through the Menpower program. Um, but we're all there. There's a common thread amongst us all, you know. And again, we can have a laugh, we can have a joke, and uh, plenty of trips. We went to the Doyle one day, we went to Croke Park. Uh, we did some fantastic quizzing, some great quiz nights there as well. And I discovered that I am actually. Uh, quite uh, what will I call it quite the Stephen Fry when it comes to that <laughs> unknown to myself but uh, I was given the tools and the equipment you know from Menpower to be able to go into Terminal Fire with a lot more peace in my mind and not being nervous or you know I don't know I could interact I could not interact it doesn't matter you're all there on the one ship yeah. you know trying to go in a good direction Yeah. and what I found fascinating was 
the age levels. I mean, I'm in mid-40s, I'm 45, but it's the older gentlemen that I could take great solace with, great experience and stories, you know? Yeah, yeah. And right. obviously the younger the younger group as well would have their own input. But yeah, it's all very relaxed and it, it literally is men's haven. That sounds... Um Sounds like a tonic, really, uh, Mick. And thank you so much for talking us through what uh, um, has been, from your perspective, the journey of a lifetime. Uh, Aoife, uh, thank you as well for talking us through the Manpower Programme. Uh, I hope both of you have enjoyed this chat as much as I've done. Next up, we're celebrating Bike Week, which means that you have to get on your bike. Health and Fitness with David Hollywoods in association with the Hearing Consultancy. Carrying out free hearing tests in Clara, Tullamore, Kinnegad and in our latest clinic at Mullingar Dental Clinic, Martins Lane, Mullingar. Thehearingconsultancy.ie You're very welcome back. It is National Bike Week. It's running from the 13th of May uh, through to uh, the 21st. So there's another weekend left in it. But of course, you don't have to start this week. If you haven't thrown your leg over a bike in a while... Let's refresh our memory a little. Our health and fitness reporter, Chloe Farrell, has been talking to Olivia Murphy of the Offaly Sports Partnership about the power of the bicycle. So it's a healthy, low-impact exercise that can be enjoyed by all. It's low-impact. It causes less strain and injuries than other forms of exercise. It's great if you have osteoarthritis. It's a good cardiovascular and muscular workout. It's quite easy. All you really need is a bike. And if you, can't, if you don't have your own bike, there are a number of shops and facilities in a number of locations that actually hire bikes now as well that you could actually borrow a bike for a day and maybe do a stretch on the Grand Canal or do a stretch in Loch Bora. I know until the as well they also have the Moby bike um, scheme in place there that you can actually hire a bike and cycle around the town and everything else with that it's good for strength and stamina it doesn't have to be particularly intense it can be as easy or as hard as you like it's a great way to get fit it's a great way time saving you know if you're looking maybe to go down to the shop instead of hopping in the car you could take the bike down to the shop it can help prevent falls and fractures. So yeah, there's there's a lot of benefits to actually cycling. And some of the um, Danish studies suggest that regular cycling can protect people from heart disease and that people who cycle more often uh, or for more than 30 minutes a day had a 40% lower risk of developing diabetes. Just earlier, you mentioned that it's easy to cycle. So I know a couple of people my age, if not even older, who actually still, they just never learned how to cycle. And they feel now that it's too late to even learn. But what advice would you have for them? There's a number of things that can be done. A a lot of the clubs would actually run kind of meet and spin programs or couch to um, 50Ks or sofa to saddle programs. And that's literally where you can go along to kind of a six, eight or 10 week program. And uh, the ride leaders in the club will actually bring you out on the bikes. They'll teach you how to cycle and they'll get you used to cycling. And then usually what they end up doing at the end of those particular kind of programs is they might run a long distance cycle event. So it could be something like a a 40k cycle, um, like a pedal the peaks or a Pat Colgan challenge, or it could even be something like the Dublin bike ride, which would be quite a popular event in Dublin now at the minute. There's a number of different ways that you can actually get into it. A decent bike shop, if you chat to them, um, they can point you in the right direction of the proper bike. If you do end up buying a bike secondhand online, bring it to a, a local bike shop just to have them check it over and everything else with that. And I know in schools, there's actually a program called Cycle Right, and that's 
basically a six-week program where facilitators go into the school and they actually deliver kind of a six-week cycling program, bringing um, children kind of from not being able to cycle to maybe being able to do a kind of a short cycle around their local neighbourhood. You also mentioned earlier that cycling can be as easy or as hard as you like. What are the different levels that people can do in cycling then? So it really varies from person to person. If you're looking to just get started, your best bet is to, here in Offaly, we would have, say, maybe the Lockboard Discovery Park. There'd be a number of cycle trails which are all off-road and safe, and you could get going on those. There's about 50-odd kilometres of the Grand Canal Greenway now open from Edenderry to Pulla. It's a, a tarmac-type surface or kind of really fine quarry dust, really, really nice to cycle on, and you can do as, as long or as short as you like. Um, I know the distances that we did on Saturday at the Grand Canal Relay, as I said, there was the full 50K, but the first one from Edenderry to Dangan was 17K, Dangan to Tullamore was 14.5K, and then the last sections, which was Tullamore to the Patch and the Patch to Pulla, they were 8.5k and 8k respectively and there's decent parking spots that you can actually just park up. You can cycle down most car park areas or most areas along the Grand Canal Greenway. They would have a number of kind of cafes along the way that if you're cycling with kids, what you can do is you could do your 8 or your 10k down, grab a bike to eat and then jump on the bikes and, and come back up so you can. Just for the routes then that would be easier and lighter on someone, are there advantages of just the simplicity of a nice, easy cycle? Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, there would be. I, I know, like, um, in, in recent years, myself and my family have actually gotten more involved in cycling, and I would have two boys, 8 and 11. During COVID, our youngest actually graduated from a stabiliser bike to a proper bike with gears, and what we actually did is we actually went out and we did a number of sections on the greenway. So we would have started off with short sections, say maybe 5k down, 5k back, and we've gradually increased our distance now in recent times, and the boys now would cycle maybe 25, 30k in a day, but normally what we do is we do kind of maybe 10, 15k down, we'd stop, we'd have a bite to eat, they'd be able to kind of relax a little bit, and then we'd actually come back, and that's the way that we've been doing it for the last little while. There are a number of cycle routes now all over the country, I'm using this as training routes, but all these facilities are actually shared usage facilities. So you would have pedestrians, you would have parents with buggies, you'd have people with pets, you'd have people on the bikes. And it's just a chance to get out and get going with your children. Um, just something easy and nice and handy to do. There's obviously a little bit of etiquette around it. You know, ring your bell, cycle in single file when you're overtaken. But they're dead easy. And as you get more used to it, you, you'll actually get more in tune with what's the best way of riding with your own family, it sounds like you'd be fairly experienced and well used to cycling. Could it also be a family activity for a family who wouldn't be as used to cycling? Oh, yeah. Yes, most assuredly it could be. As I said, when we started off, we actually had our youngest graduate from his stabiliser bike. So he would have been very new, getting used to his gears. And for that reason, we actually stuck to places like Lockborough, the Greenways, because we knew that they were contained, we knew that they were off-road, we knew that they were safe. 
you're not far from towns if something were to happen, um, which thankfully nothing has ever happened to us while we've been cycling. But we would have started from a pure beginner stage and now we have boys cycling longer distances and they're quite happy to come out to cycle with us and the plan for the summer is we're hoping to head down to the Limerick Greenway and spend the weekend there cycling various different sections of the Greenway and hopefully completing the whole Greenway while we're away on our holidays this year. How long is the Greenway there? The Greenway in Limerick I think is in around 40 to 42k. Most of the Greenways are generally between 40 and 45 kilometre long. The only ones that would be more longer distance would be the Royal Canal Greenway and that goes from Maynooth in Dublin down to Longford and that is about 130 kilometres and then the Grand Canal Greenway as I said that's currently at 50 kilometres but it is actually being extended out and being extended further down. The existing facilities, so the old canal branch lines or the old railway lines that are no longer in use by the rails or, or the canal companies, they're actually now being turned into green spaces and amenities for stuff like cycling and walking and running. Why do you personally think that cycling is an ideal sport to partake in? How did you get involved? I didn't really learn to cycle as a child. I came late enough to cycling. My husband was, was, was into cycling a bit and we kind of got out and got going. And then when we had our kids, it was just something that was easy to do. The expenses, you know, you pay for your bikes, you pay for your helmets. And depending on, on how good of a bike you want, you can pay substantial amounts amounts of money but if you're just looking for a bike that you can get out and cycle the type of bikes you'd be looking at would be kind of mountain bikes or kind of hybrid type bike we we kind of just went out and as i said we've bought our youngest up from kind of being on it on stabilizers to actually being able to cycle so we would have cycled kind of round the round our home estate and everything else like that and now as as they're getting older, we, we're kind of increasing the distances and everything else like that. But it, it's dead handy to do. You know, you have a glorious day. It just all comes together and all clicks. And it's just really nice to kind of get out and, and, and do something with the family that's, you know, you're not racing running to, oh, they've got a soccer match or they've got a GAA match or they've got, you know, um, a rugby match or anything else like that. It's, it's a lot more chilled it's it's more on participation than competition and and it, it, it's nice to see so many people actually out and about um on their bikes and, and getting more comfortable getting out on their bikes in the various new facilities that are actually springing up all around the place at the moment yeah and hopefully many more to come uh, a big thanks to chloe farrell who brought that discussion with olivia murphy of the awfully Spart- sports partnership to us that's our lot for another week on health and fitness we'll be back next friday we're going to the newsroom and then it's joe cooney with country roads health and fitness with david hollywoods with the hearing consultancy book a free hearing test at one of our clinics in clara kinnegad mullingar or tullamore and get impartial advice on hearing aids ear protection tinnitus health and more coming soon to eaton dairy the hearing consultancy.ie Midlands 103